You're listening to the weekly message at Mosaic Church. For more information or to talk about your own life in Christ, email info at mosaicchurchevans.org. If you'd like to support our ministry, visit our website at mosaicchurchevans.org. Thanks for listening. And now, this week's message. So I want to ask you to read this together with me. What's on the uh, screen? Not that, but the next thing. There it is. Read this together with me. Ready? Go. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. We're talking about freedom this month, and thinking about it made me think about something that happened to a friend a while back. We, uh, it was an encounter he had with Jesus at Starbucks. Um, this friend, we'll call him Jerry, uh, went through a pretty rough patch in his life. He, he ended up having to change careers and homes. It left him with a, a root of bitterness he didn't even know he had. And he was kind of coming out of that season, but not really. Maybe you know what I'm talking about. When he was walking into a Starbucks and on his way in, he saw this skinny, ragged guy digging through the trash can outside of Starbucks and eating whatever he found. This guy was eating out of the trash can. And Jerry was moved by that. So he decided to buy this guy the best that Starbucks had to offer. So he went in and he bought a bottle of some kind of fancy organic orange juice. It cost $4 and a blueberry scone. And he took it outside of this tired, hungry guy thinking he'd be so grateful for something that was a lot better than trash can food. But the guy put the scone in his backpack and he handed the $4 orange juice back to Jerry. And then Jerry watched him pick up a cup of something nondescript and milky from the trash can and he drank it. Jerry ended up going back inside and drinking his $4 organic orange juice while he fumed a little over somebody choosing trash can food over his gift. And that's when Jesus seemed to break in and tell Jerry that maybe he wasn't so different from that guy. Because remember, Jerry had just gone through some pretty rough things. And, and ever since, he, he's been pretty bad, bitter about it, bitter and angry, feeding on resentment. And over time, that, that bitterness became kind of judgy. And even though he was starting to feel better about his life, that, that, that judgy, I, I don't know, Something milky at the bottom of you that you, you know, that, you, that just kind of sits there. You know what I mean? That, that, that opinion toward the world had become his go-to. But right there in Starbucks, while he's drinking his $4 organic orange juice, Jesus showed up and he saw himself as Jesus saw him, which was not a whole lot different than the guy digging through the trash. It was this huge moment, he said. He, he ended up calling several people he'd been angry at, some for years, and some people he'd done wrong, and some people he just thought maybe he'd done wrong. And he confessed his sin to those people and, thought for, and sought forgiveness. And he says it was the opposite feeling of groveling or humiliation. What it felt like was freedom. Which is kind of the point of the whole story of God. 
I mean, in the Old Testament, all those stories are freedom stories. It's Noah coming off the ark. It's the Israelites coming out of Egypt. It's the people of God being sent home from Babylon. It's it's people actually being set free to go home after generations in exile. In the New Testament, that idea of being released from exile becomes the foundation for teaching God's people what spiritual freedom looks like. Spiritual freedom is walking out of something that has held us captive in some kind of dumpster diving existence, teaching us how to walk into a life of flourishing and joy. And in the New Testament, there is no story that better captures that image than Paul's story. Up until his encounter with the risen Jesus, Paul's whole faith was grounded in the Jewish law, which was not a, the Jewish law itself was not bad, but over time it had become compressed into this dry formula it wasn't designed for. It It had become transactional. Put this much in, you'll get this much out. In that worldview, the most observant Jews were working themselves literally to death. It was oppressive. But then, Paul met Jesus in this supernatural experience on a road and experienced an amazing freedom from the tyranny of working his way into the kingdom of God. Now he could see the whole story of God through the lens of freedom, and it all made so much more sense. This is what he was missing. And not just him, everyone. This was what the world had been missing. So think of Paul as the apostle of freedom. He he has been set free from fun-sucker-outer religion, and he wants everybody to find that freedom. So this is where he is when he, when he writes to the Galatians, this group of Jesus followers who have just come to faith out of the same religion he was raised in. And he's been talking to them about something he's noticed. That even though they, they gave themselves to the good news about Jesus Christ, they've been dumpster diving again, digging through their old life to add to the faith things Jesus never required. And it was playing out, especially around the practice of circumcision, the the Jewish sign of covenant. They were imposing this practice on grown men. So this was kind of a big deal, especially if you were a guy. It's like they were handing $4 organic orange juice back to Jesus and drinking from an old cup. So Paul needed needed to let them know that they are free now to live to free to live by grace free to trust in the saving and perfecting power of God so I want you to look with me at Galatians chapter 5 the best way to engage the message is always with the bible and something to write with if you got your bible turn to Galatians chapter 5 we'll start in verse 1 Paul says It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. 
Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. What he's saying is, if you try to do some of it, it will drag you back and you'll end up right back digging in the trash can. Put this much in, you'll get this much out kind of religion. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You've fallen away from grace. For though the Spirit, we, for through the Spirit, we eagerly await by faith, underline that, by faith, the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision, either one has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who called you. A little yeast can work through the whole batch of dough. You're all going to be infected by this if we don't stop it. I'm confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion. I want you to remember, circle that word confusion. The one who is throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, will have to pay the penalty. Brothers and sisters... If I am still preaching circumcision, then why am I being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. you got to love Paul. I love him. Pulls no punches. And I want to just do 13, just because we're going to come back to it in a little bit. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. I mean, you can just hear it in Paul's voice. Can't he? He's passionate about this. He can hardly believe they are choosing an old cup over the new freedom that this life in Christ offers. And he uses this one example. And I bet money that there are other examples in Galatia. But he, but he picks an extreme one because he wants to shake them loose from the heresies that leave them drinking from an old cup. Hearing an old tape. And I see three things in his fussing from Paul that I think he wants to say, not just to the Galatians, but to all of us. If we really want to be free. First, he tells us we can be free from bad religion and the pressure to be perfect. Friends, there is freedom from bad religion and the pressure to be perfect. I think there's a real opportunity in this present culture we're in to hit the reset button on religion. You know, especially since COVID, deconstruction has become a buzzword. Everybody's rethinking their values. People changing jobs, changing homes, changing churches, some people checking out completely from where they've been. Here's a, here's a curious stat. Since COVID, who do you think is less likely to be back in church, Democrats or Republicans? Nope. Republicans are less likely to be back in church than Democrats. Another random stat. In a study that was done this year, actually just released a couple of months ago, it was a study of 180 major U.S. cities. Augusta ranked in the top 10 among the most stressed out. 
<laughs> I feel that. So, in a county that is highly Republican, in a city that is highly stressed out, there's a lot of spiritual discontent. I'm not talking abstractly here. I'm talking about your town, your home. But the good news is, that we now have this environment where we can all pull apart what has become comfortable and ask what's working and what isn't. We don't have to settle for a deadening autopilot religious life. Jesus came to set us free from that. Come on. Todd Hunter has just released a, a book, a great book, called What Jesus Intended, Finding True Faith in the Rubble of Bad Religion. Somewhere in there, he writes... Bad religion is an adventure in missing the point. Don't you love that? You should write that down. Bad religion is an adventure in missing the point, which is exactly what Paul is trying to tell the Galatians. If you're telling people there are hoops they have to jump through before they can get saved, before they can be in, you're missing the point. That's bad religion. Hunter takes this point and he brings it home to us who are living out those stats I just quoted. He asks this, would it help you to know that Jesus detests bad religion more than you? And yet, Hunter says, no matter how repulsed we are by bad religion, the way out of our repulsion is never to pit Jesus against the church, those called by Jesus and dedicated to him. There is an unalterable connection between Jesus and his people. We need to hear that. Bad religion, bad religion according to New Testament standards is not imperfect behavior by imperfect people who follow Jesus. According to Paul, in this word to the Galatian church, bad religion is not the opposite of perfect behavior. Bad religion is the opposite of grace. It turns out that perfectionism and judgmentalism and fearful overfunctioning that's bad religions by Paul's standards. It, it, can you hear it? I mean, bad religion, the way it is most often lived out. Now listen to me. The way it is most often lived out is not some prosperity gospel preacher with a jet and a girl on the side. That's not bad religion. That's bad morals. That's fallen humanity. Bad religion, according to Paul, is refusing to deal with our own fear of freedom while we continue to drink from old, sour cups. It's an adventure in missing the point. Friends, Christ set us free so we could be free. That's what he says. He didn't set us free so we can be better volunteers for the kingdom or so we can be more efficient human beings or so we can become the morality police or so God can get some secret agenda accomplished through us. No, when Christ set us free, he set us free for no other reason than so we could be free. Otherwise, it wouldn't be free. So listen, grace is freedom. And grace is risky because we have to believe that it accepts us before we've done anything. Grace accepts me 
before it assesses me. And God does this, not with a blind eye to my mess, or, and, and not in spite of my mess, but because of the sufficiency of Christ to cover my imperfection. Without even looking at my life, God already knows that Jesus has more power than my worst. And I got to tell you, some of my worst was pretty bad. And I'm just one person. Think of the power of Jesus. So in the end, justification isn't about me or my sin. Justification is about Jesus which means grace is all about Jesus, which means Jesus is all about freedom. And freedom is all about grace. Anything else is bad religion. <laughs> so what would it look like for you to be set free from bad religion? Drinking from old cups of works-based, works judgy religion, Free from that terrible need to be perfect. And how would it change your life if you were free to let others take that journey also, trusting that Jesus is more powerful than anything they bring? What would it be like for you to be free from self-protection, from shame, from the pool of death. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Listen, if, if deconstruction has been part of your spiritual journey, especially in the last few years, I want to honor that. It can be good. As you're sorting through the trash, keep in mind that bad religion is not the opposite of perfect behavior, yours or anybody else's. Bad religion is the opposite of grace. So I told you Paul had three things to tell us as he's talking to the Galatians about freedom. He wants us to know we can have freedom from bad religion and the terrible need to be perfect and sort of related, but not exactly. He also wants us to know that we have freedom from trying harder and the terrible burden of guilt. Martin Luther, in his commentary on Galatians, says the most miserable people in the world are the ones who are just sure that working our way to freedom is the answer. Trying harder actually is a way we tip our hand and expose our doubts that God is actually enough. That's the side effect of bad religion, as Paul defines it. It's, it's religion that tells us the only answer is to try harder. And when we do and, and still fail, then we feel guilty. Nothing churns up an old cup of guilt better than try harder mentality. I'm not talking about guilt for things you've actually just done. Huh? I'm talking about that empty guilt that comes because I can't make my life look like what I think my life ought to look like. If you're stuck at that, the bottom of that try harder jar, uh, cup, I, I, I want to give you this from, from Andy Kolber in her book, Try Softer, which was a book that kind of changed me. She writes, it takes as long as it takes. It's okay to be unfinished. It's absolutely normal to be imperfect. 
It doesn't mean you're doing anything wrong. And what's more, God is neither surprised nor dismayed at how slowly we progress. I have another friend. Our paths don't cross that often. She is a four-foot-tall powerhouse of a missionary. She's Thai. She lives in Thailand. She, she, she shares Jesus in Thailand and Sri Lanka. She's brilliant, actually. Uh, both Sri Lanka and Thailand are, most, are largely Buddhist countries. And uh, Ubawan was raised as a Buddhist. And she says that... Um, she, she, was a, she was a professor of philosophy before she became a Christian. And, and, and Jesus came to her in a vision while she was sitting in a hotel room. I mean, Jesus cut out the middleman and came directly to her and revealed himself. Isn't that stunning when he does that? It happened while she was meditating, as Buddhists do. She was meditating, but that day she said it felt empty. And then Jesus showed up in her hotel room, and he showed himself to her in all his glory. And in that moment, he became her redeemer. She began to follow him and then began to serve in the kingdom of God. And her work in Thailand and the U.S. is so fruitful. She says this. That she noticed something as she began to follow Jesus. She noticed that in order to seek enlightenment, Buddhists place a lot of emphasis on meditation. But when Christians get saved, we place our emphasis on getting busy. <laughs> Buddhists place a lot of emphasis on meditation. But when Christians get saved, we place a lot of emphasis on getting busy. She doesn't see that as necessarily a good thing. She noticed that Christians don't take time to just sit, to meditate at the feet of Jesus, to just sit with him and learn from him and just be. Here's exactly how she puts it. She says that, that Christians go to the holy, but almost never to the holy of holies. That rings true to me. I feel that. I feel it both as a conviction and as a hope. My conviction is that my try-harder life may actually be keeping me from the holy of holies. You know, I don't think the holy of holies exists in the bottom of that old cup. Christ is freedom. The, the good news, the hope, is that if I will get myself into the holy of holies, Christ is freedom. So let's just meditate on that truth for a minute. I want to invite you, close your eyes. Just sit in the presence of Jesus. Try to absorb this truth. In Christ, you are free. Make it first person tense. In, in Christ, I am free. Just say that. How does that change how you see yourself, your circumstances? In Christ, I am free. And if you're carrying some burden of guilt inside, you know it. I, I want you to imagine being set free from that burden of empty guilt.
how does that change how you see the people around you? Can you feel the freedom of this truth? That when Christ sets us free, we are actually really completely free. Father, your word tells me that I have the mind of Christ. You've not given me the spirit of fear or confusion, but of love and peace, a sound mind. And so today, God, I choose to set my mind and my heart on you. Teach me to meditate on you and to feel your freedom the way we're supposed to feel spiritual things. Jesus, I set my spiritual eyes, my affections on heaven. I look to you, the author and perfecter of my faith, and I ask you to cure me of my try-harder habits. Put me, Jesus, in perfect peace. Renew my mind. Release me from empty guilt and shame. Silence every confusing voice of the enemy. Jesus. My freedom, my redeemer. And if that's your prayer too, say amen. Amen. That's what Paul wants us to hear. That we're free. That we're free from bad religion and the terrible need to be perfect. And we're free from the try-harder life and that terrible burden of guilt. And he also wants us to hear that we are free from chaos and the sin that causes it. Paul says, verse 13, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. He wants us to hear that Christian freedom is not a free-for-all. It's freedom from sin and the kind of sin that breeds chaos. Sin breeds chaos. My recovering friends in the room, I need an amen from you. Jesus came to set us free, not just from sin, but from the chaos it creates in our lives. And John tells us, if we do sin, and we will, we have this advocate, Jesus, who gets it. That we're going to fall short, and sometimes we're going to make bad mistakes. Sometimes we're outright going to rebel. But in that state, backed into that corner by sin, Jesus is faithful. He offers freedom from sin, freedom from the chaos that churns up in sinful atmospheres. So a while back, I was talking to somebody else, someone who had just begun to, to rebuild her faith in Jesus at the time. God had done some amazing healing in her life. And so she, be she became open to God's healing power. And she began to see how generations before hers, Bad patterns had been put in motion that had kind of been passed on and showed up in her life. I mean, she was beginning to understand how the sins of her parents and her grandparents were, could, could affect her and, and mess with her ability to see herself as a child of God. That generational dysfunction had created a lot of chaos in her life. And so when she got to this place... She's beginning to experience the freedom of God. And she, we started to talk about that, the spiritual discipline of repentance from those, those, those old cups and, and to see repentance as a path toward healing. And she said that the word repentance was a hard one for her because of how she was taught growing up. 
She had a hard time not, not feeling bad when she heard the word repentance. You know, she'd always, she'd always been taught that the middle of sin is I. Anybody else here taught that? Yeah. She never really got it that repentance was an invitation into freedom. She said, I, I've never enjoyed repentance, but endured conviction, which led not to freedom, but self-hatred. I thought it was a powerful line. I have never enjoyed repentance. That's a deep end revelation. She was saying she never saw repentance as a freedom act. And I get it. It's not exactly fun to admit all the things we've done that we're not proud of. I get that. But when you begin, when you experience it a few times and you begin to understand that there is freedom in repentance, freedom from chaos, freedom in walking around as a free and forgiven person, well, do that enough times and you'll start finding yourself crawling like a, like a, a thirsty person through a desert to get to the place of repentance because you are so hungry for the freedom it brings. Amen. Amen. Repentance invites us to dump out the trash can and take the new cup that Jesus offers. My friend said this, I'm very grateful that God is now showing me the softer side of salvation, the freedom of the gift, freedom Conviction is not the end. It's the beginning. I spent my whole life asking myself, why would anyone ever, this is my friend talking, why would anyone ever want to be a Christian? And for the first time ever, I know it's not because it feels good, it's because it is good. Amen. Friends, you've been set free. Freedom is offered to you as, as, as a gift. It's being offered to you as a new cup. Yours for the taking. I want to invite you to stand. The question is, how will you get out of the old cups and into the cup of freedom that Jesus offers? I want to spend time Right now, I just want to ask you to bow your head. And again, we're just, I, you're in charge of this prayer. You're in charge. I'm just going to ask some questions. I'll ask them first person, but they're for you. They're for you to think about, to, to get with Jesus on. Do I need to repent of an unholy judgmentalism that has me stuck? Am I letting an old cup, a, a, a judgy, bitter, angry past, a wound, decide how I will live today? Where am I depending on perfection of myself and others rather than walking in grace? Where am I trying too hard? I have to tell you, that's been a big one for me. As I, as I worked through this message, I had the hardest time pulling out I, what it was that God wanted me to say. And it, I realized 
I was writing a message about not trying harder while I tried harder. And I think for a lot of us, that's it, isn't it? Trying so hard not to try hard that I'm ending up trying too hard. Where am I allowing chaos to breed in my life? What's the sin you need to confess? Maybe, maybe the sin you need to confess is just the sin of being judgy toward a world that's just hungry and trying to find faith. Or judgy toward somebody you can't control. What is it you need to confess? We built an altar this summer, and this altar is for you. So I want to invite you to come. This is a place where you can come and get before Jesus and be. Come like a person who is crawling through the desert, hungry for, thirsty, ready. And as you come, we're going to continue to worship. If you'd like prayer, I'll be off to the side. You're welcome to come and I'd love to pray, pray with you. Thanks for taking the time to listen to our message. If you live in the area and are looking for a church home, we'd love to see you. Visit us or check out our website at mosaicchurchevans.org for more information. May God bless your day.